Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of the College Football Recruiting Podcast. We call it that because they're well, kind of all the good creative names were taken. This is Bud Elliott, your National Recruiting Director for SBNation.com, uh, and let's get into this. We always start off the show with a recap of the biggest commitments since the last show, and this week we have a couple. Not a real busy week in recruiting as far as commitments go because you have a lot of colleges visiting players at their schools as we're still in the spring evaluation period. They're getting to watch kids at practice in games, going to see them in school, talk to their guidance counselors, get transcripts, talk to their coaches, maybe meet their parents if their parents are out at the practice field. So all that good stuff going on. So not a whole lot of commitments uh, happening, but we did have a couple. Uh, and it was a big week at the linebacker position. Um, Austin Orgy out of Rockwall, Texas, went to Vanderbilt, 6'2", about 220. So pretty rocked up, yet very athletic kid, a national top 200 guy early on. And as we've said, look, early recruiting rankings don't mean a whole lot. But, you know, they're not terrible. They're just not as good as they are at the end of the year. And that's a great get for Vanderbilt. Uh, Vandy's offense has been pretty dreadful under Derek Mason, but their defense has been really solid. And certainly the ability to go and get a great education at Vanderbilt to play in the SEC, which has been a, a major draw for kids in Texas for a couple of years now, uh, and to play in that Vanderbilt defense had some appeal there. Florida State added linebacker Amari Gaynor. Uh, he's a legacy, obviously picked FSU over Miami, uh, Texas, and Alabama. Uh, I know they're very happy about that on that staff. Uh, long, lanky linebacker who keeps getting better, needs to become more and more physical, uh, more physical presence, but has the, the length to rush the passer and is also fairly good in coverage. So, uh, a nice get for FSU there. And then I think probably the, the other really big commitment of the past week, Jalen Maiden out of uh, out of Texas, picks Mississippi State over a couple other top offers at the quarterback position. Six foot two, 215, a strong runner, uh, developing as a thrower. I, I, I like what I see of him sometimes as a thrower, sometimes not so much, but that's a consistency issue that we'll, that we'll have, to, you know, have to work on, and, and we'll see how he continues to develop. Certainly, Dan Mullen has done a great job developing quarterbacks in his tenure there in Starkville, and you know the Bulldogs are really happy to have him. The only real big uh, decommitment that we've seen here in the last uh, couple weeks was Damian Pierce, uh, running back out of Bainbridge, Georgia, national top 150 player, one of the best running backs in the country. Decommits from Alabama, uh, might have committed too early, wants to go check out all his other options. And look, it's it's not lost on me that – Alabama's backfield is really loaded right now. And so playing time can be hard to come by. And it's not, it maybe not a bad move to go check out all, all, all the options and, and see. Um, here's a name to keep an eye on, though. Jace Reuter out of Norton, Kansas, decommitted from Tulsa. He's listed some websites as a safety, other websites as a quarterback. The websites that have him as a quarterback are correct because major schools now are taking a note of Jace Reuter out of tiny Norton, Kansas. I had to look 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 up where this was. It, it's kind of by Nebraska. Uh, he decommits and North Carolina offers, Florida State offers. I think he had a couple other major offers. Unfortunately for Tulsa, you know, that, that's that's going to be hard to hold on to a kid like that when, when he gets those big time offers coming. Uh, but that is indeed what happens. So that's something we're going to uh, we're going to be watching. And then Georgia lost the commitment of Donovan Georges. He's a linebacker from uh, Champagnat. Uh, Catholic down in Hialeah. And to be honest, I'm, 
you know, I'm not trying to disparage a young man here, but I, I'm not convinced that he is a Georgia-level player. And so that, that's really not much of a surprise to me. We've seen his rating fall consistently over about the last year. Now he's outside the national top uh, 700. When I saw him at the Nike camp, if I didn't know who he was, certainly I would not have thought that he was an SEC linebacker commitment. And, and so now he's not. And look, maybe he'll be able to find a spot that is um, more in line with his abilities and, and more likely to be able to offer consistent playing time for him. All right, so let's get into first down. Uh, last week I was at a high school game and was talking to a college coach. And this coach was the college coach of, of an all-pro NFL player, and I made the, the remark to him, you know, that has to help you in recruiting. And and he said, uh, not not really, not as much as you'd think. Uh, he, he actually said, these kids don't know blank uh, about college ball history and um, – if you don't tell them, they don't know. And he added that he doesn't think the kids go back and watch like YouTubes or read uh, about the greats of the sport. And, and he's just not sure they actually watch the sport quite as much, which, you know, that, that part didn't shock me quite as much. We've heard some kids say they don't really like watching football. They just like playing it, which, hey, more power to, you know, go outside, do something other than watching a screen, except, you know, keep reading SB Nation, of course. Um, but then we, we had a, another thing pop up the other day, Jamar Chase, who's a receiver I really like out of Metairie, Louisiana. Uh, there was someone had posted a video online of Peter Warwick, an all-time great, played at Florida State from 96 to 99, uh, you know, top 10 draft pick of the Bengals, All-American, you know, maybe he could have won the Heisman had he not had the whole discounted Dillard's issue. Jamar Chase uh, tweets, never heard of him until just now. Boy Cole ASF, and ASF, you can Google that. I don't want to say it on the podcast in case you got kids in the car. Uh, and then somebody said he was a monster. Became a really good route runner in the league, dominant in college. And then Chase said, had to be way before my time. And I was like, God, I feel uh, Peter Work way before the time of, of current recruits. I mean, that, that, that wasn't that long ago. But look, Peter Work played his entire college career before Jamar Chase was born. Current recruits were born about, on average, January 1st, 2000. They are the Y2K babies. This is the class of 2018, the kids that are going into their senior year of high school four months from now. You know, that that got me thinking. What, what other things don't college ball recruits remember? They may know that it happened, but they don't actually have a, a solid memory of it. Here's a couple things. Uh, they were not born when Georgia, Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Penn State, or Tennessee last won a national title. Think about that. Georgia, Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Penn State, or Tennessee. That's pretty nuts. Some of these kids' parents, by the way, uh, were not born the last time Georgia won a national title. I mean, not, not many of them, but a couple of them. They don't remember Heisman winners like Charles Woodson, Ricky Williams, Ron Dane, Danny Warfel, Eddie George, Charlie Ward, Desmond Howard. Barry Sanders, Bo Jackson, all well before the class of 2018. So that that's something, you know, I, it really kind of helps set the perspective of, of what they remember. But in, in case you're having trouble focusing and, and, and listen, I'll, I'll tell you. They're actually too young to remember watching Oklahoma, Miami, and USC win national titles. Born in 2000, all those things were before they entered kindergarten. They don't remember college greats like Torrance Marshall, Josh Heupel, Jonathan Vilma, Kent Dorsey, 
Willis McGahee, Jeremy Shockey, Lindell White, Matt, Matt Leinert, Sean Cody, you know, unless they remember their, their NFL careers. But they don't really remember them as, as college players. And honestly, they don't remember a whole lot of their NFL careers either. I looked it up, and less than 10 guys from the first three drafts, those when those kids were alive, the 2000 to 2002 drafts, are still in the league. Less than 10. You know, so imagine being a coach at one of these historic powers and telling a kid, yeah, we, we actually have recently won a national title at Oklahoma or Miami or Michigan or Tennessee or Nebraska or wherever. And looking at the kid as he, as he wonders if you're screwing with him or not. You know, do, does he have to Google it to figure out if you're, if you're being truthful? That That's something I think that fans don't get because fans, for the most part, are, are a little bit older than these recruits are. So they, they clearly remember these national titles, but the recruits don't. When I watch a guy with some some variation of feels like 98 or 98 comeback or whatever with the big Tennessee logo on his Twitter avatar, he's tweeting up recruits like a storm. That kid doesn't know what feels like 98 was. You know what 98 is to him? 98, his mom wasn't even pregnant with him. He wasn't born. He doesn't know anything about 1998. I think that the first title game, they may remember watching some. They probably don't remember it great if they do remember it, but they, they might have some recollection of at least sitting down to watch it. Was Vince Young scampering into the corner of the end zone to beat USC in that title game? And I, I do think they remember Tim Tebow beating Oklahoma. Uh, and, and they seem to remember LSU Tim Tebow was probably the first guy that they really remember as a superstar in college who they actually still bring up some when you're talking about one of those schools. Um, They remember Patrick Peterson at LSU. They definitely remember Cam Newton, um, both at Auburn and the league. So that's kind of the range. Their their history is really limited. And their their most formative history, the years they're likely to remember the most, kind of the recent most six, since they got in middle school, right, it's been Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, and Clemson. Those are the four teams that have by far the best winning percentage. In fact, the only four teams that have a winning mark above above 80% in that range. They remember Heisman winners like James Winston, Derrick Henry, Marcus Mariota. They remember Deshaun Watson. Uh, they remember a lot of Alabama, Alabama draftees, uh, you know, not quite as many individual stars on those dominant teams. And they remember Ohio State winning. But really, you look at the, the four teams, and those are your four, your last four national champions as well. Um, that's kind of – and you look at who recruits really well, it makes sense. The recruits remember who's been doing really well in their recent lifetime. That's not to say other teams don't recruit well. But, um, you know, since middle school, you look at some of these national power teams, Tennessee checks in at 40 and 35 since current recruits entered middle school. Texas, 41 and 35, so one win better. Auburn is 46 and 32. Miami is 45 and 31. Uh, That's, you know, kind of interesting to take a look at. Why why are some of these teams struggling in recruiting? Some of them are not, by the way. Miami's doing a great job this year. It might be because they really haven't been relevant at all since these kids got into middle school, since they could – you know, watch watch what they want to watch, have control over the remote some, and, and and pay attention if they actually do pay attention to recruiting, or excuse me, pay attention to college football since they can start paying attention to this. So I, I thought that was interesting. You you can uh, you can read that piece on SB Nation. It's called uh, "Do 2018 College Football Recruits 
even remember your team's last national title. And I'll probably do this next year as well, because the next next year's class was, was born in 2001. So they, uh, you know, they may remember that Florida team that won the title in 08. Maybe the LSU team, but they're going to be too young to remember the Vince Young Rose Bowl game over, over USC. You got to be interesting uh, to, to see this thing evolve. And, and some teams that are living on their kind of early and mid 2000s successes are going to find it harder to be relevant in their mind in the minds of recruits. All right, uh, second down comes to us as an offshoot of a question from a Virginia Tech fan named Jason Stamps. And he asks, Bud, do you ever see Virginia Tech recruiting at a national championship level? And we had a little back and forth on Twitter. Um, and I said, no. And he was like, all right, what, what teams do you see kind of in that area? And look, we've broken this down about over the past decade and, and actually previous to that as well. And to win a national title, um, it's held consistent that you have to recruit more four- and five-star players than two- and three-star players. Virginia Tech recently has been nowhere close to this, and they've really never been all that close, even when they had their, their very good teams. To answer this, let's let's start with who I think are the givens, not teams that can win the national title this year, but teams who I, I think have the ability to recruit at that national title level. All right, and so here we go. Alabama, pretty obvious. Auburn, and one national title this decade, also played for one um, against Florida State and uh, had a very good team in 04 that went undefeated. Clemson won this year. Florida uh, has two in the prior decade and then one in 96. Florida State, most recently won four years ago. I put Georgia in the S category. Uh, now, Georgia has not won a title in over 30 years, but I believe they had national title caliber teams in 02, 07, and then also in 2012, the year where they played Alabama down to the wire, and Alabama subsequently went on to destroy Notre Dame in the title game. LSU, last one in 07. I think Miami can still do it with the right coach, with the right recruiting, if they can uh, replicate that and to get more investment in their facilities and whatnot, which seems to maybe be coming. Uh, Michigan, pretty obvious Jim Harbaugh is doing some great things there in recruiting. Notre Dame, uh, I, I still have Notre Dame in this list. I think you get the right coach at Notre Dame. It still has the facilities and, and the cachet nationally uh, to be able to pull in a national championship caliber of athlete. And look, Notre Dame went to the title game like four or five years ago, so it's not impossible. Ohio State, pretty obvious. Oklahoma, sure. Penn State, last one in 1986, but they seem to be on the upswing. They are recruiting better. Uh, I, I think that they have the sort of commitment to winning that allows this to happen. Uh, so I'm going to put them on the, yes, I believe they can recruit at a national championship level uh, list. Texas and Last one, 2005, pretty clear that they can. Um, Texas A&M. Now, this one's going to be controversial, but I, I believe it uh, for a couple reasons. They last won in 1939. However, A&M has been sending just oodles and oodles of guys to the NFL. 
they are in perhaps the best single city to recruit in in America outside of what I would think Atlanta. And granted, South Florida is still the best area, but A&M is, is massively investing in their facilities. They are, are among the nicest in the country. 100,000-seat stadium in one of the fastest-growing metro areas, Houston, in the country that has just an incredible amount of talent. The proportion of elite talent in Texas that is shifting east uh, is is getting even larger. I, I wrote a story on this on SB Nation about how Houston is affecting the dynamics of recruiting both in Texas and in the SEC. And there's no school that is better positioned to take advantage of this, I think, than Texas A&M if they get the right coach. I don't think Kevin Sumlin can do it. I don't believe that these air raid guys can, can, can win national titles, really. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, I definitely think that if Kevin Sumlin were to get fired, that A&M job becomes very attractive because it, it's a much better job than either Mississippi schools or than Arkansas, or arguably better than, than than Auburn because you don't have to deal with Alabama in your own state as you do if you're the head coach at Auburn. Uh, and then, of course, USC is, is clearly here. I don't think anybody would really quibble with that list too much. Can they recruit at a national championship level again is the question. Then I, I've, I had five schools that came up that I, I was sort of iffy on. Nebraska, who last won in 1997, but the dynamics have just changed so drastically. Uh, and, and since then, they've really not been close uh, to, to doing it and are, are no longer a, a power school. Um, I have my doubts, but I can't completely rule it out. You know, Part of the test in my mind is if you were to put like a Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or Jimbo Fisher level recruiter at that school, could they do it? And while I'm not sure they could, I'm not sure they couldn't either. So they're kind of in that debatable category for me. Oregon has never done it. They have no national titles and they have never recruited at a national title level. However, they've played for national title twice. Couldn't get it done. Um, now, part of me thinks, and, and I, I know some Oregon people who, who cover that program who think the same way on this, if they couldn't get it done with Marcus Mariota against the third string quarterback for Ohio State, when are they ever going to do it? And I think that's a fair question. They may not be able to do it. Uh, but, again, with, with the Nike money and the facilities they have, it's not impossible to think that at some point they could. Tennessee, again, Tennessee is a program that really has trouble controlling its own destiny. Tennessee is at a recruiting disadvantage compared to Florida and Georgia due to the lower amount of talent uh, in the state and the geography of the state being it's very wide and narrow, so it takes a long time to get to Knoxville from some spots. Uh, Phil Fulmer won the SEC East uh, in six of his 17 seasons, which is fine. Uh, but look, he was 5-12 and 12 against Florida, 2-1 and one against Ron Zook, 0-4 against Urban Meyer, 3-7 and seven against Steve Spurrier. 11-6 and six against Georgia, but just 3-6 and six against Mark Richt. Tennessee really has only been good when Florida and Georgia were down and had pretty bad coaching hires. That doesn't bode well for the sort of the, the upper bound projection of them as a program. Uh, the, the best coaches that the SEC East had during Fulmer's time, they owned him. He was 8-2 and two against Alabama coaches Mike DeBose, Dennis Francione, and Mike Shula, but 2-4-1 and one against Gene Stallings and Nick Saban. If you're scoring at home, that's combined. 8-20 and 20 
against Meyer Spurrier at Florida, Rick Stallings, and Saban at Bama. I mean, that's not very impressive. So that's why I have my doubts about Tennessee. Lack of in-state talent, lack of a national brand, and I'm not sure they control their own destiny. And yet, they won a national title in my lifetime, 20 years ago. It's not that hard to, to think that they could do it if you had the right coach, but they would also need some luck along the way. UCLA, I, I think, is something that they actually have recruited at a national championship level by the Stars over the past couple of years. However, the problem is, is that sustainable? Is that something they could actually reasonably do again? And, and I'm not so sure it is. And the reason is this. USC is no longer on probation. If UCLA is in a normal situation with a normal USC, even if they have an excellent coach, I'm not sure they can do it. But then again, I'm not totally sure they can't. And then Washington. Washington has a great coach in Chris Peterson. I think he's a good but not amazing recruiter. They made the college ball playoff this year, but then they showed they maybe didn't really belong. They got dominated um, and beat up on a very easy schedule. I'm going to put Washington... Maybe closer to the yes than the no category here. They don't have a lot of in-state talent, but it's not terrible. Um, they recruit pretty well out west. I think it's it's possible, but but I'm not 100% in a slam dunk yes with the Huskies, even with a great coach like Chris Peterson. And the no category. I think there are three notable schools here who have won a lot of games over the last couple of years. Stanford. Virginia Tech, and Wisconsin. And maybe a fourth in Michigan State. And I have all these as no's. I think Stanford, unless they change their academic standards, which I don't think they will, I just don't think they can get in enough quality players because there's just not enough who want to go out west and who have the academics to get into Stanford. So that, that to me, is a no. Uh, Virginia Tech? Just a lack of in-state talent. It's a super remote school. It's it's not. It's, it's a very you know country school. Not that some of the on the list are not, but it's it's very remote. It takes forever to get there. They don't have a lot of history and tradition. Um, I I just don't think you can do it at a place like Virginia Tech. They, there's no evidence that they can do it at a place like Virginia Tech, recruiting wise. They they had the lightning in a bottle, Michael Vick year, and yet still didn't get it done. To me, that's kind of Oregon-ish, where, okay, you had Mariota. It's reasonable to ask, is the Michael Vick team at Virginia Tech the best chance Virginia Tech will ever have to win a national title? Is the Marcus Mariota team at Oregon the best chance the Ducks will ever have to win a national title? Unless they can really step the recruiting up, the answer might be yes. I like Oregon's chances of stepping up the recruiting better than I like Virginia Tech's chances just because of the Nike money and the facilities and the fact that Oregon has been one of the best teams in the sort of formative years of current recruits. Wisconsin, kind of the same thing as Virginia Tech. Just, you know, they they get a lot of wins against lesser teams, but you never really take them seriously as an actual title contender. They haven't done it since 1942, and even then was kind of a questionable title. Uh, they don't recruit at a high level. There are no... And then Michigan State, who I, I think some people would ask, where do they belong on this list? They're also in the no category. Um, really haven't been rele- you know, relevant as a national title contender in many years. They don't recruit at a super elite level. They 
took advantage of a very down Michigan to, to rise up here in recent years. But again, if you look at historical trends, the chance that Michigan State, uh, they don't really control their own destiny. They rely on Michigan State and to some extent Ohio, or on Michigan and to some extent Ohio State being down. I don't think they can recruit their way uh, over those programs if those guys are running uh, at full capacity. So that those four to me are a no. If you think of any other schools that you know maybe should should be on there, I, I guess let me know. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, Old Miss to me is a no. I, I know some people asked about that, but that no, definitely not. Uh, South Carolina is is an absolute no. Arkansas is a no, and, and most of those are just the available talent in state combined with a, a lack of, of winning tradition. I I don't think you can do it. Arizona State, no. Mississippi State, no. Maryland, no. Kentucky, no. North Carolina, no. Oklahoma State, no. TCU, no. Um, Baylor, Pitt, Vanderbilt, Missouri. I'm just going off teams that, that have had some decent seasons. Um, all those are no for me. I, I, I think the list we have um, is is pretty complete. And I'd be interested in your feedback. You know, Do you think Nebraska, Oregon, Tennessee, UCLA, or Washington are – are misplaced in the maybe category? Should they be in the absolutely yes, they could category or in the, the no category? Should any of those guys in, in the yes category go into the kind of the maybe or should any of the no's go into the maybe? We'll, uh, we'll debate that in the comments section if you want to give us some feedback on it. Or let me know on Twitter uh, at SBN Recruiting. All right, uh, third down. I'm a little bit annoyed now that my narrative of the SEC quarterbacks bouncing back after just being god-awful in recent years. It's being bastardized a little bit. And this time, uh, Mike Huggenin, or Huggenin, I'm not sure how you say his name, for a website called Gridiron Now, which I'm not sure what that is. Uh, He wrote an article that was spread around a lot over the weekend called, quote, for the first time in a while, SEC quarterbacks don't take a backseat to anyone. And look, I've been kind of the conductor of this SEC quarterbacks are going to be much improved train after just being terrible in 2016. And, and I got to say, this, this train is now going off the rails. If you want to say they're going to be improved, absolutely. I agree with you. I've been saying that for nine months. I wrote back in September that the SEC quarterbacks are going to be a lot better next year and also maybe in 2018. But they don't take a backseat to anybody? Really? I, I don't buy that yet. I think that you can argue perhaps the SEC might have the most depth. But what it doesn't have yet is, is the most superstars. Let, let's go through kind of the, this claim that many SEC fans were were passing around over the weekend. Eight schools returned quarterbacks that threw for at least 2,000 yards last season. Jalen Hurts, Austin Allen, Jacob Eason, Stephen Johnson, who plays for Kentucky, Danny Etling at LSU, Nick Fitzgerald, Drew Locke of Missouri, and Kyle Shermer at Vanderbilt. Uh, 20 of them, or, or six of them also threw 20 touchdown passes. This does not include uh, Jarrett Stidham, who transferred to Auburn, and it does not include the new transfer from Notre Dame to Florida, both of whom I, I think are going to be in the top half of the SEC. Now, that sounds impressive, but let's point our browser really quickly to cfbstats.com, click national, click passing, click yards, 
All right. Scroll all the way down. This idea that passing for 2,000 yards in a season is some great accomplishment. Did you know how many guys did this last year? 86 quarterbacks. 86 threw for at least 2,000 yards last year. I would argue that that is not at all an accomplishment. That's just, if you start at least eight or nine games, you're probably going to throw for 2,000 yards. That's really not very impressive uh, to me or to anybody who with internet access, I don't think. If you control it here for yards per game, things get a little more interesting. Did you know that among quarterbacks who are returning to the SEC, only two, Drew Locke and Austin Allen, threw for more than 200 yards a game last year? Josh Dobbs did it. He's gone. Chad Kelly did it. He's gone. Trevor Knight did it. He's gone. Denny Etling throwing for 2,000 yards doesn't impress me. He needed 269 throws and 11 games to do it. That's that's 193 a game. Jacob Eason at Georgia, fine freshman season. Still just 186 yards a game. Nick Fitzgerald is more of a runner than a thrower. I, I mean, he's not a good not a good throwing quarterback, really. 186 yards a game. Jalen Hurts, 185 a game. Kyle Shermer of Vanderbilt, who had a terrible year and should not in any way be used to brag on a conference as quarterback play. Uh, 185 yards a game. Steven Johnson at Kentucky, again, not impressive. 169 a game. So that you look at these guys that threw for 2,000 yards who are actually returning, most of them were, were not really that good. Now, I think it, it makes sense to incorporate some uh, projection of progression. Absolutely. And I think the SEC might have the, the best average quarterback, if you think about it. you know, the, the, A lot of those guys who are coming back are, I think we can describe them as decent, you know, not terrible quarterbacks, especially if, if they make some progress. But the league doesn't have – who are the superstar quarterbacks in this league who you think are going to be immediate superstars? Nick Fitzgerald, I think, is a really good college quarterback, but he also plays for Mississippi State. And it's just tough to be a huge college superstar at Mississippi State unless you're like a Dak Prescott-level player. And I'm not sure that he is. Blake Sire, if his transfer to Florida goes through – the history of transfer quarterbacks becoming superstars is, is really not that good. Uh, Russell Wilson did it, but other than that, it, it generally, if you're available to transfer, you're available to transfer for a reason. And I think Zaire is a pretty good player as far as quarterback transfers go. But he lost out on the starting job to Notre Dame to one at, at Notre Dame to one guy, and would have lost out on it again to another player this year, Brandon Wimbush. Stidham at Auburn may be your, your best chance to have a legitimate superstar in 2017 out of this group. He, he obviously had a great year at Baylor. We haven't seen him do it in the SEC. I do think there's some uh, credible difference between the SEC defenses and the Big 12 defenses. And I think if you look at the talent level, which maybe I'll discuss later in the show, I think it bears that out. But this idea that the SEC quarterbacks are going to be the best in the country, well, you know, that, that just pump the brakes a little bit. We don't need to argue worst to first. We can argue worst to maybe upper middle of the pack. That that could be interesting. You, know, you, you think about how many of these guys on this list 
would be the best quarterback in the SEC? Lamar Jackson? I think so. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, maybe Jake Browning, uh, Baker Mayfield, Mason Rudolph, uh, maybe a Luke Falk. I, I, I just don't think 2,000-yard passers is really a very good uh, barometer to use. And I think it's, it's cherry-picked to make the SEC look good, which, you know, why do we got to do that? Um, so SEC fans, if you're listening to this, yeah, I'm not buying the whole SEC by far the best quarterback thing yet, but I do buy significant improvement from worst to maybe third or second. Maybe it happens, but I don't think there's this declaration that the SEC takes a backseat to no one else with quarterbacks really makes a whole lot of sense. In fact, if we want to just go with arbitrary round numbers, I pulled this data. How many SEC quarterbacks returning have thrown for at least 3,000 yards last year? Two. The ACC, which I think is going to see a huge regression in terms of quarterback play after having a historically great year of QBs in 2016, the ACC still returns three. That's more than the SEC. The Big 12, which again, it's the Big 12. They throw the ball around a lot. Big 12, Mason Rudolph, he's back. Baker Mayfield, he's back. I think Kenny Hill is back at TCU. Shane Bouchelle. Is back at Texas. So that's a lot of guys who threw for, or it's what, four who threw for more than 3,000 yards? Okay. Check in the Big Ten here. Big Ten, not really known for quarterback play, but probably still better than the SEC. McSorley of Penn State's back. Uh, David Blau of Purdue is back. JT Barrett, uh, JT Barrett did not do it. So the Big Ten is either two or three. So right about, right about on par with the SEC. Pac 12. I think what we're going to find is that it had by far the most. Luke Falk. He's back. Davis. Uh, no, Davis Webb was a senior. He's gone. Jake Browning. He did it. Sam Darnold. He did it. Clearly, Josh Rosen, if he had played more than six games, uh, would have done it. So the SEC has tied for the fewest quarterbacks who threw for 3,000 or more yards last year. 2,000 is really not very impressive and, and probably shouldn't be used uh, to say, hey, this is you know a, a real accomplishment. It's just more of a product of, hey, you were a starting quarterback for the majority of your team's games for the most part. Anyway, uh, just something to look at there. But, yeah, if you want to go find it, uh, you can actually just Google Bud Elliott, SEC quarterbacks, SB Nation. And what you'll find is that I actually podcasted about this uh, last November, and the headline is, the SEC's quarterback play might be really good again really soon, and did a podcast on it and did a post on it. And, uh, yeah, I cited guys like Shea Patterson of Ole Miss, Jake Bentley of South Carolina, uh, Jacob Eason of Georgia, Jalen Hurts of Alabama. The quarterback play has been poor in recent years, but I, I think it will be a lot better this year, and maybe... The year we need to start talking about SEC quarterback play is not this year, but 2018. Because you look at, at the majority of the guys in this league, most of them who I think we're, we're hyping are not going to be draft eligible until after 2018. So maybe that's where we should really focus our hype and, uh, and kind of pump the brakes just ever so slightly in this offseason. And finally, fourth down. Uh, 
Over-under win total wagers came out from a lot of the online casinos this week. Also, I think a couple brick-and-mortar casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, as of Monday lunchtime, I'm using the bet online numbers. Uh, bet online, as you can see, on Oddshark. The top two teams here. These are regular season win totals anyway. So no bowl games, no playoff, no conference championship games. Just your 12-game schedule. Alabama. And Ohio State come out at 10.5. They are uh, the tops by a full win each. Uh, Alabama is minus 260 to the over, and Ohio State is minus 205. So those are, are your sort of preeminent locks to make the playoff if you want to go by the Vegas odds. Um, not surprisingly, those are the two best recruiting teams in the country uh, and have been the two best teams pretty much for the last uh, half decade or so. That's not really a surprise. Uh, the next group is, is interesting. I think it's a combination of talent and schedule. Uh, at nine and a half regular season wins, Ford State, Oklahoma, Penn State, USC, Wisconsin, and Washington. So those six, of those six, all are slightly favored to go over the nine and a half, uh, with the exception of Penn State, which is slightly favored to go under. Thought that was kind of interesting. Um, again, these are on Bet Online. I don't endorse Bet Online or not endorse it. It's just out there, um, and I know it's a popular book. So I, I think all those are are pretty reasonable. Um, you know, looking at, at some of the schedules, Oklahoma does have to go to Ohio State. Florida State does have to play Alabama uh, to open the year. USC will be interesting. Uh, Penn State, uh, I think, will be interesting. Uh, they'll score about a billion points, but I'm not sure how good their defense will be, can Washington bounce back and have another 10-win uh, regular season? I, I, maybe Wisconsin's schedule is pretty much always a cakewalk, so uh, that's largely, I think, why they're up there. Um, what do you think the chances are that your college ball playoff teams, that all four of them, come from that group of eight? Alabama, Ohio State, FSU, Oklahoma, Penn State, USC, Wisconsin, and Washington. You notice there's some notable teams uh, not in here. No Michigan, no uh, Stanford, no Auburn or LSU or Georgia or Florida, um, no Texas, no Oklahoma State. Interesting there. Then I went and looked at some numbers that I think uh, if uh, if these results happen, as Vegas predicts, I, I think there's a real chance that the coach there uh, might get fired. Starting with Tennessee, seven and a half. If Tennessee goes seven and five uh, a year after being a huge disappointment and not winning the SEC East, I have to think with the new athletic director that Bush Jones is gone. Um, if, if they if they if they actually go seven and five, if you're a new AD, do you really want to hit your wagon and, and, and give them a vote of confidence for yet another season of Butch Jones? I personally have a hard time seeing that happen. UCLA at six wins. If UCLA goes six and six with what is presumably the last year of quarterback Josh Rosen uh, and a USC program that seems to be getting better under Clay Helton. I don't know how long Jim Mora uh, will be at USC. Texas A&M at seven. Again, A&M always gets off to a hot start, and they always seem to crater down the stretch. How long do you keep paying Kevin Sumlin to go 7-5, and 8-4? If A&M goes 7-5 and five yet again this year, I have a really hard time seeing Kevin someone sticking around. Now here's an interesting one. Auburn at eight and four. 
if Auburn goes eight and four and looking at their non-conference schedule this year, pull it up here. Excuse the typing noises. They have a non-conference game at Clemson to open the season. They also have road games at Missouri, at LSU, at Arkansas, at Texas A&M. And uh, this year they host Georgia and they host Alabama. That's not an easy schedule. Now, they, they do kind of get – they could presumably get fat on, on easier teams early in the year. They, they host Mississippi State. They host Mississippi. Uh, they go to Missouri. They get Mercer and Georgia Southern also early. You could probably see them being being uh, five and one going into that, that trip at LSU, but three straight road games uh, with with a buy in there at LSU, at Arkansas, at Texas A and M. Um, if Auburn goes eight and four, does Auburn keep Gus Malzahn around? I don't know. I, I I think the magic number there, like the if you told me he goes nine and three, I, I think that's that's almost absolute safety. But eight and four, Auburn boosters are kind of crazy. Things could happen. How about Arizona? If Arizona goes uh, goes five and seven, as is being predicted in some spots by Vegas, is Rich Rodriguez still there next year? What about Nebraska? Nebraska putting together a really nice recruiting class, had a strong finish last year, but six and six. I I gotta look up what Nebraska's schedule is. Because that doesn't seem wow six and six would be really bad. Now they're at Oregon. I think Oregon's offense is going to be rocking and rolling from day one, but I don't know about that defense. Uh, there are other road games at Penn State, at Minnesota, at Purdue, at Illinois. Um, they host Iowa. They host Minnesota, or they host Northwestern. They host Ohio State, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Arkansas State, and Northern Illinois. If Nebraska goes six and six, that's that's really bad. Um, I would be, I'd be very surprised, and, and that would not be good for the recruiting. I don't know that they would fire um, the staff at six and six because they haven't been there that long, but that that would certainly be a disappointment to just barely squeak by and make a bowl game. All right, uh, just a few little loose ends to tie up here. Uh, this week, I think I'm going to have a piece on uh, Big 12, a piece perhaps on Clemson. We'll be doing a lot of behind-the-scenes video. SB Nation's recruiting videos right now are kind of the hottest thing out there, and we are one of the only sites actually doing consistent recruiting video. And I know as the guy that helps manage the recruiting coverage on all 80-plus team sites, we're very happy to have those, and, and we're distributing them via YouTube, Facebook, and also on our website. So that's great. Uh, Elite 11 finals are this weekend. I'll be going out to LA. I fly out Thursday. It's a great chance to see, I think, 30 of the top quarterbacks in the country. And I have some preconceived notions about some of the players going in. And and one of them is that this is a very top-heavy quarterback class. I really like some of these top kids. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You get down past maybe the top 10 or 12 guys, and I really feel like the, I don't say the bottom drops out, but there is a noticeable drop. And at that point, I think you really could have probably reasonably taken almost anybody out of maybe the next like 30 type kids to fill the final 10 spots. That'll be interesting. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I have a hunch that a couple kids will show up and, and really look great. 
Uh, and I also want to see how does Elite 11 incorporate uh, things like like the QB's legs because there are, are there's no doubt in the college game now that throwing is less important than ever, except for arguably the time when all the schools just ran the, the old wishbone. Nowadays, you can win eight, nine, ten games with a quarterback who's really more like a running back and, and doesn't throw the ball very well. Elite 11 is primarily about developing you as a passer, but I do want to see if they use more quarterback mobility and drills to see, okay, this guy shows the ability to throw the ball after you know jumping over a bunch of hurdles and things like that. How well do you throw on the run? Uh, I, I like to see uh, conflict for these guys, not just um, – you know, clean pockets, no pass rush, that type of thing. That that we can see your mechanics, but we really can't see how your mechanics are when they break down. And certainly we're not going to throw live rushers at these guys, but maybe we can we can simulate some of that and see if their mechanics break down when they're asked to move outside their comfort zone. The best quarterbacks out there are the guys who can replicate their mechanics in almost any situation. We talk about that with Aaron, with Aaron Rodgers. His ability to be mechanically sound while still changing arm slots on the run is incredible. Tom Brady has one of the most consistent, repeatable strokes out there. So that's something I'll be looking for. Uh, we'll probably do a podcast from out there in LA, may get a, a noted quarterback coach or two on, maybe some recruits, talk to them. And uh, we're going to be doing these weekly now. So we appreciate you listening. Please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if you will, and uh, tell your friends. This is a growing thing. We know that, that there are some folks out there really enjoy listening to recruiting, and we know some just like hearing me talk about college football. Whatever your fancy, I uh, hope to be doing these more often. I enjoy doing them, and uh, just got to make sure we put on a consistent schedule. Thanks for listening. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know, we certainly think about and, and, and keep in our thoughts and honor, the, honor those who came before us and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Have a good one, y'all.